I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. As we sit here, Jeffrey is downloading the IARP's decision on the University of Memphis. I cite page 62 of 73 from the IARP's decision. Section B, probation. The University of Memphis will be on three years of probation beginning today through September 26th of 2025. That probation includes that Memphis shall require at least one counsel from its Office of Legal Counsel to attend one NCAA regional rules seminar during the first year of the probation period and another regional rules seminar during the third year of the probation period. At a minimum, this individual shall attend the sessions related to recruiting, initial eligibility, and certification of eligibility. Further, the University Council shall require the council who attends the Regional Rules Seminar (laughs) to share and disseminate information learned to other members of the Office of Legal Counsel. Anything in there that hurts, Jeffrey? That's my question. Anything in there well, that... Well, I do feel sorry. Isn't, isn't I feel sorry for the for the human <laughs> being that has to go to that council. Uh, Let me tell you what. Whatever they pay that person, it's not enough. Uh, during the period of probation, they shall inform all men's basketball prospective student-athletes. Oh, we're still using that term. In writing that the institution is on probation for three years and detail the violations committed. If a prospective student-athlete takes an official paid visit, the information regarding violations, penalties, and terms of probation must be provided in advance of the visit. Otherwise, the information must be provided before a prospective student-athlete signs a national letter of intent. Uh, Additional penalties. Student-athlete number one competed while ineligible because the institution failed to comply with a binding academic and membership affairs interpretation. Therefore, pursuant to bylaws, Memphis shall vacate all wins, records, and participation based on student-athlete number one's participation in the November 5th, 2015, or 2019 contest. Uh, the head coach uh, aspect was not applicable. And basically, if you are the University of Memphis, you can go ahead and pop champagne today. Champagne all around, ladies and gentlemen! Hey, let's, can we call up that Tyler Harris? Do you still have the pop Tyler Harris sounder? I think it's appropriate for this.
A financial penalty fine in the amount of $5,000 plus 25% of a percent. So 0.25% of its average men's basketball budget based on the average of the men's basketball program, the previous three total budgets, a complete accounting of this financial penalty shall be included in Memphis's annual compliance report. I will work to get the actual basketball budget. I think really what what it really boils down to when you look at it is Memphis is, you can call it witch hunt, you can do whatever you want, and all of that may be true. I do think the most significant aspect for the University of Memphis is they were greatly benefited by several factors. Number one, while they clearly targeted Penny Hardaway, Penny Hardaway in, in the eyes of the rule book and everything was a first-time offender. And because he's a first-time offender, they were not able to go after him in the way that I believe that they actually wanted to go after him, so that worked on their behalf. Furthermore, I think this is a a big, big aspect for the University of Memphis. They're doing away with this entire process. Well, here's, here's the thing. What's interesting is people can complain. First of all, I, I, I had to. I was doing a little reporting and a little uh, tweeting and a little whatever while I was while we were while we were doing that. So sorry, we're multitasking today. But um, I don't know how to overstate what an unbelievable day this is for the University of Memphis. All this throughout is bigger, the last, this is bigger than beating Boise State. <laughs> all all through the last three years, as Memphis has done whatever. Any good thing that Memphis has done, any there's always been this yeah, IARP. And every once in a while, something from the IARP would pop up and we'd hear more. And honestly, it felt bitter between the IARP and the University of Memphis, in particular David Rudd. I will say this, though. It that was is commonplace. Bitter, yes. But um, And so you're wondering what is going to happen, what is going to happen, what is going to happen, what is going to happen – is the anvil going to drop? It's like when you're, I don't mean to overstate this because it's not life and death, but it's like when you're waiting for some medical test to come in or when you're waiting for like some result. You, you took the bar exam and you're whatever else you're waiting for. And it's just, and then you wake up this morning and you're thinking 10 o'clock press conference, we're going to find out whatever else. And uh, so it's hanging over your head. And given all the horror stories about what could happen to Memphis because of the way they handled this, they are essentially walking off scot-free. A $5,000 fine that is less than Penny gave, you know, less than half of what Penny gave Mrs. Wiseman, or whatever his last name isn't Wiseman. James's mother. Gary Parrish is, of course, the host of the Gary Parrish Show right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Weekdays from 4 until 6. He is an Emmy award-winning television personality. He is a rising star in the field of meteorology, national college basketball columnist. <laughs> Gary, I guess let's just start here. Is there any way to look at this other than a win for the University of Memphis? Uh, not from the University of Memphis's perspective. I mean, this is I was going to say about as good of an outcome as you could hope for, but it might even exceed that. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anybody. I, I think we had, in recent months, you know, learned enough by connecting some dots to, to be hopeful. 
that the program wouldn't face a postseason ban. But I don't know anybody who didn't think Penny Hardaway, at the very least, would at least serve some suspension. Uh, like, really, that's what we were hoping for, you know, in, in recent weeks. Like, if you tell me they, they can play in the 2023 NCAA tournament, but Penny Hardaway suspended for three games or six games or nine games or whatever, like, I'll take that and consider myself lucky. And so for the punishment to fall even short of that, it, it's a massive win for the University of Memphis. Um, I, I don't know the, the, the lawyers' names who argued on their behalf, um, but whoever they are, um, and I know I can access them, I just don't have them here in front of me, they, they did a nice job. They, they, they argued effectively, and they resol- were able to resolve this in a way that I, I really do believe exceeds all reasonable expectations heading into this thing. Yeah, I, I know Mark Giannato had talked to an attorney that handles these types of cases, and the one point that he had made consistently is, in the eyes of the NCAA, Penny Hardaway is going to be a first-time offender. There's no other way to look at it. He's like, even if they want to nail him, there, there's limitations on what he could do or what they could do to him. But I don't ever. I I remember him thinking like, okay, that means he won't be suspended for the whole year. But I, I think that's really the biggest surprise, right? That he's not even suspended for a game. Yeah, there were limitations on what they could do, but they could have done way more than this. Correct. Um, if they wanted to implement a postseason ban, that tool was in the toolbox. If they wanted to suspend Penny Hardaway, that tool was in the toolbox. And, again, Memphis was able to argue um, effectively and successfully that the violations that, that they were accused of weren't actually violations at all. What's interesting is, one of the effective arguments, it appears, is that Memphis argued that Penny Hardaway is a lifelong Memphian who has been helping people in Memphis with money literally for, for decades, well before he was the head coach at the University of Memphis, and even well before he was officially labeled a booster back in 2008. Um, they made the argument that he has helped non-basketball players. And if he's helped non-basketball players and basketball players, then these funds, theoretically, and I'm paraphrasing here, but this is the gist of the argument, those funds were, were available to anybody. And they should not be considered a recruiting inducement or an improper benefit because non-basketball players have also benefited from Penny Hardaway's money. It's not apples to apples, but it is very similar to the argument North Carolina made yeah. years ago when it was facing uh, what uh, more or less was an academic fraud case. It is undeniable that they had fraudulent classes in Chapel Hill and undeniable that a large percentage of student-athletes took advantage of those classes. But what North Carolina argued is, you know, about half of the people in these classes are non-student-athletes. So if these classes were available to non-student-athletes just as they were available to student-athletes, then why are you considering them an impermissible benefit or some sort of benefit strictly for student-athletes? We're showing you... We admit that the classes were fraudulent. We just reject the idea that they were fraudulent only to benefit student-athletes. And the NCAA kind of had to say, all right, you got us, we'll let you go. And that appears at least on some level to be what happened with Memphis here. Memphis was able to argue that Penny Hardaway giving James Wiseman money was not a big deal because Penny Hardaway, or more specifically, not 
um, a, a violation that deserves this type of punishment because Penny Hardaway has given money to a lot of people who aren't seven feet tall and five-star prospects. Do, do, would I accept that? Um, no, it, it defies common sense, but, but it worked. And when you are fighting the NCAA, you don't have to convince uh, people who rely on common sense uh, to, to win an argument. You just have to win an argument in, in the context of, of that case. And in Memphis, I give it a lot of credit, was able to do that. This may not be an answerable question, but I, I'm just curious from your opinion. How much do you think this decision was based upon Memphis's argument versus how much of this is the fact that the IRP is going away, the fact that this administration is essentially nothing more than a lame duck administration, and the fact that pretty much everything that they're accused of would not be a problem today. How, how, how much do you think, how, how can you kind of weigh those two things? I think they all played a role here. Um, I, I think Memphis argued effectively on its behalf, but I also think the IARP is just ready to, to be done with this. Um, they, they won't really face much criticism today, although I do see a lot of people, non-Memphis fans on Twitter, talking about this is ridiculous. And I do think it's fundamentally ridiculous to look into a program for nearly three years and then you know slap it on the wrist at, at best. So I get where those people are coming from. But the criticism the IARP would have faced for severely punishing Memphis probably outweighed the criticism the IARP will face for barely punishing uh, Memphis. And now that they know... They're not even going to be exist when they resolve all these cases. Uh, what it looks like to me is um, they're not interested in any sort of severe punishment. They're just interested in, 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 in being done with this. And so uh, I don't know exactly what it means for Louisville and Kansas and Arizona and LSU and uh, Auburn and anybody else facing uh, an IARP case connected to the FBI scandal because that's not this. But certainly if I'm a fan of any of those schools, um, I'm feeling optimistic today because um, if you're not going to do to Memphis anything more than what you did to Memphis, um, are you really going to have whatever it takes to, to severely punish any of us? Well, and don't you think it's entirely possible we have a situation where Kansas, the defending champion, is going to be eligible to defend when I think, you know, I feel like last spring most of us thought they probably wouldn't be eligible to defend their own title. At this point, I'm going to assume they're all going to, get away with minimal punishment like there are people who have talked on the record who have said we're not interested or at least we're really hesitant to um we're really hesitant to 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 take away postseason opportunities from student athletes who had nothing to do with the violations that occurred and if that is is taken as a an operating approach at this point well, it's literally impossible to punish any of these schools with a postseason ban um, without punishing student-athletes who had nothing to do with it. So, again, as always, we'll see. As I've said you know, pre-IARP and about the NCAA for years, um, trying to draw conclusions based off what one school gets um, is always a, 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 a waste of energy and time because none of this sets precedent. They contradict. Uh, punishments contradict each other all the time. Schools you think should get nothing get something. Schools that you think should get buried get nothing. Um, and, and so 
you know, I, I, I wouldn't speak definitively or in absolutes about what's going to happen with any of these schools. But if I were Louisville, Kansas, Arizona, LSU, again, I think right now I would, I would feel uh, more optimistic than I've ever felt. One of the, the at least like common criticisms that I'm seeing right now is this was such a waste of time and money. And I think on a certain level, if you know what we know now, I think you can say, okay, that's true. But is that is that a fair criticism given at the time when they had the system in place? Like it was a legitimate, it was a legitimate review process. It, I mean, I guess like on a certain level, you can always go back with you know hindsight and go, well, that was a waste of time and money. Like the Salem witch trials, that was a waste of time and money. But you know what I mean? Like at the same time, like it was what they were interested in. Like it. Do you think it's a fair criticism to just say that was a, a waste of time and money? I can understand why people would look at this and go, what are you doing? Like, why are you going to spend like 34 months looking into a basketball program? Like, and, and really, we're not arguing about the facts of the case. Right. You know, like, it, it wasn't like the NCAA or the IARP alleged Memphis did something and Memphis said, we didn't do it. They alleged Memphis did something and Memphis said, okay, sure, but like, it should not be a problem. This happened before. Our coach was uh, uh, the head coach at, at Memphis. It, 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 this was not uh, money given to James Wiseman to get him to go to Memphis. This is not your typical booster involvement. This is a very unique set of, of circumstances. Um, I, I, I guess I would, I would I'd fall on the side of um, you know, Memphis pretty obviously uh, appeared to break uh, a rule. Um, you know, based on the way the rules are written, and the NCAA pursued that uh, when playing James Wiseman triggered the investigation. And then Memphis just successfully argued um, that it should not be punished. And, you know, if the whole thing was a waste of time, then I I give the Memphis attorneys a lot of credit for uh, being able to argue um, in a way that made it all a a waste of time. Uh, I guess if I were... You know, working in the IRP case, I, I I would you know wonder if we were always going to fall on the side of Penny Hardaway as a lifelong Memphian who has helped people for decades. So this shouldn't be a problem. Well, that that was known from the outset, right? Uh, so then, why did we even why did we even charge them in a way like if this were a criminal investigation? Why charge somebody with a crime that you're not going to be able to convict them of? Um, in that sense, it's a waste of time. But um, again, more than anything, whether it was uh, misguided or a, a waste of time, as people put it, uh, it, it all led to a, a pretty remarkable and fantastic outcome uh, for the University of Memphis. Again, this, I, you know, I think you could have gotten Memphis to agree to an even harsher penalty than this at, at any point in the process. Anything that would have stopped um, short of a postseason ban, I've always believed was going to be a favorable outcome. And this, you know, as we've noted, stopped well short of that. Now that we feels like we've answered most of the big questions coming into the season, you know, what was their eligibility status going to be? What was Penny Hardaway's status going to be? What is the roster going to look like? We now know the full conference schedule. I think for me, the question now is, do you believe that this is an NCAA tournament team? I believe it can be. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't bet my life on it. Yeah. But I think the talent's in place. Obviously, the experience is in place. Um, you know, this is a team that I'll probably, if I were ranking up to you know top fifty, I would have somewhere in the forties. 
I think it's a borderline top 40 team on paper. I think when most of the analytics stuff comes out, um, Ken Palm and, and other places, that, that'll, that'll be what you see. I, I think the early you know, projected brackets, almost all, if not all, have Memphis projected in, but closer to a 10 or 11 seed than a 3 or a 4 seed. So, yeah, if I had to bet something, I would bet on Memphis making the 2023 NCAA tournament, finishing second in the AAC uh, behind Houston. But, you know, I, I just think sometimes it's important to remember Memphis on paper multiple times um, in recent years has had teams that are more talented than this team that didn't make the NCAA tournament. So, you know, nothing is to be taken uh, uh, with any degree of certainty, but I would lean more yes than no. Yeah, I think the way that I look at it is, okay, can you tell me what the status of the league is going to be? Because the question that I have is, what's more likely? The AAC only gets one bid or Memphis finishes second? And when I look at the scope of the league, I think it's more likely that Memphis finishes second than it is that it's only a one-bid league. And so, therefore, I'd have to say that it is. But I'm like you. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, like, oh, this is definitely a tournament team because I think we've We've learned the lesson of saying, like, you know, as you point out, the roster clearly at times has been a tournament team, but sometimes they didn't have the metrics, sometimes they didn't have the wins. And then I think the other complicating factor is, what do you make of the schedule? Because the way that I look at the schedule, the non-conference is vital. Penny has not traditionally started quickly with his teams. They typically get better. But then the close of the year is also very tough. when you kind of balance the, the totality of the schedule, what are your, what are your reactions? Well, I think the non-league schedule is challenging. Um, they're going to take some losses. Um, and and that's, that, that's, you know, that's the most important part of the schedule because the league is down. Yeah. Um, I, I think at best, you know, the AAC projects as a two-bit league. It, it doesn't mean it'll only get two, but uh, the, the over, if we were putting over-under number on AAC teams in the NCAA tournament, you know, you'd put it at 2.5 and – and I'd probably take the, the under there. And you'd probably choose um, the under, I think. Right. That's right. And, you know, because I think Tulane is probably projected to finish third, and, you know, I'm just not ready to call that program an, an at-large candidate. Yeah. So I think, I think it's Houston and Memphis. And so what Memphis needs to do is obviously get some nice wins in the non-league portion of the schedule, avoid horrific losses, but then run through that league. Like, you know, lose to Houston, that's fine. Lose at Tulane, understandable. But, you know, something like a two- or three-loss conference schedule is, is possibly what it's going to take. Obviously, de- de- dependent on what they do in the non-league schedule. But they're going to really uh, – once you, the calendar turns to January, they're going to be playing a lot of games. They can't help you if you win them, yeah. but they can really hurt you Bombs if, if, if you, you lose them. Yeah, and so they've they just got to avoid – this is, you know, every year stuff. But, you know, get your get – your, Get your resume-building wins, for the most part, in the non-league portion of your schedule, and then just avoid the bad losses and, and, and ride it through the finish line. All right, and then lastly, uh, Met status. How you feeling? Feel good, although Jacob deGrom got hit pretty good the past couple of starts. He's looked uh, human, nothing like himself. Yeah. And so, obviously, that's concerning, but uh, still got a one-and-a-half game lead, uh, or a one-game lead, rather, o- over Atlanta with not many left to play. Uh, you know, all of the algorithms still have the Mets finishing one game ahead of Atlanta. Uh, obviously, that, that three-game series coming up is going to be massive, but uh, I feel good. I, uh, they, they got 
Miami uh, starting tonight. They're going to miss uh, the Marlins ace, which is who's a possible, if not probable, Cy Young Award winner. So that's uh, that's advantageous. So uh, I, I can't wait. Can't wait for tonight. Can't wait to see this thing wherever it goes. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.